Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Next question. My husband, CSAT, told me that sex addiction is not always about intimacy issues and that some sex addicts do sexual emotional intimacy. I thought one of the main definitions of sex addiction was not wanting connection or not wanting sexual intimacy. Is his therapist correct? Um, so again, I often question what people say their therapist said. Am I a real? Yeah, but this one said, this is someone says that my husband's therapist told me. So there, it, it sounds like it came okay. directly from the therapist. So, okay. Cause otherwise I would be concerned about that too, but this is the husband's okay. therapist so, to this person. Let me be more clear about what the question is. Um, I think any addiction is defined by how is that behavior or that substance, right? Alcohol, whatever. How is that affecting that person's ability to function in multiple areas? Is their porn sexual behavior, does it affect the intimacy in their marriage? Does it affect their being focused at work? Does it affect their being, uh, having emotional availability for their kids? Excuse me, there are lots of areas in which um, uh, sex addiction can significantly, or any addiction can significantly diminish someone's life. So one of the outcomes of the addiction is that we end up not in being in non-intimate relationships. And those are not consciously chosen. What we do is we actually get as close to you as we can, you partners, you wives and husbands and all that. And then we try to make sure that we've got you nailed down and we won't lose you and you're happy. So we can run over here and distract ourselves and disappear. So it's not that I would say that I didn't want intimacy. I've said all my life that I want intimate, loving relationships. It's more that we are scared of them and we tend to invite them in and then run it. We do this. We invite them in and then we run away at the same time. And, um, and so I don't think it's about I don't want intimacy or I don't want sexual intimacy. I think another way of saying it is that intimacy is frightening to us and sexual intimacy sometimes even more uh, because of our history is and our abuse. So um, us being relaxed and comfortable and open and relational connected to you during sex and on the way to it, we'd rather have sex with a stranger because we don't have any control with you. And well, maybe we won't get aroused and maybe it won't get go well. And maybe it won't be as exciting as it is out there. So, you know, I'd rather read and have sex over there as a, as an active sex addict. So yes, I don't think, Yes, that's a double negative. I think this is about an intimacy avoidance, but it's not based on a desire to uh, on a desire to avoid intimacy. Um, it's not conscious, but we end up avoiding intimacy. And yes, I call sex addiction, love addiction, porn addiction, intimacy disorders. I don't just call them that because it's easier to say and makes you feel more comfortable. The challenge of intimacy, relatedness, connection, loving, that is at the root underneath the iceberg of the addiction is the ability or inability to deeply connect because without deeply connecting, we're never going to be, we're never happy people. Yeah, I agree. The only other thing I was thinking to add on to that was, um, and I'm negatively impacting our intimacy if I'm betraying you. So like that is an intimacy issue from, from that standpoint too, whether it's, 
anonymous sex or it's an affair partner or whatever it is, I'm still betraying this primary relationship. So, okay. Next question. Can a sex addict recover and not return to acting out? My husband is working recovery and also says he desires nothing but me since revealing his childhood trauma and his addiction is out in the open. Also, can they fall in love with a sex worker? And then there's an add in. Is it possible him desiring nothing but me? Okay. Well, that's a lot of questions, but uh, what I'd be really curious about in this question, Tammy, is how long Uh has this person been working on it? How long, um, how long, has he been saying he desires nothing else but you? Has he been doing this for three months or six months or a year? Because someone in the beginning, I think, who three, four months in says they desire nothing but you is full of crap. And they're trying to distract you and make you feel great and have a lot of sex with you. So you won't challenge them or be upset with them anymore. Um, So if it's been a year um, or a year and a half that he's sincerely been working recovery, I would think he'd be in the stage of really of you getting to know each other intimately, sexually, and beginning to regrow what you had. So, um, I, I, so here's, I'll say one more thing. Sex addicts are so used to chasing intensity and so, and thinking that sex. So sex workers disappearing into the sex hours and hours in porn, the excitement, losing ourselves in all of that. That's really our goal. And, you know, when we look at a spouse who we've been with for 10 or 20 years, you look great, but you don't look nearly as exciting as all those images online or all those. So my sexuality with my spouse, the one I love, cannot come from as an addict. That same place I go to when I'm visiting a sex worker or seeing, uh, seeing an affair partner or playing with cam boys or girls online. That, my sexuality around that is a lot about intensity and superficiality and control. But for a lot of sex addicts, that's all we're used to. So if we approach you as a partner and we don't have that intensity and that distraction and we don't know what to do because that's actually what we're afraid of is simply being present with you. It brings up a lot of stuff for our past, from our past. Can someone, what was the question about sex worker? Can they fall in love with a sex worker? Well, I think anybody can fall in love with anybody and people are defined by more than sex workers. So, you know, I, I can't really say, but I will say that, I mean, I can't speak to that particular issue, but I will say this, a lot of sex addicts, because we're so longing for attention and validation, all that narcissistic stuff um, from any place we can find it, this is going to sound strange, but it's not unusual when we are on a call service where you talk to someone about sex and they charge you every five minutes, or we're seeing a sex worker on a regular basis or a stripper, we start to want to believe that we're the special one, that we're the one that they, you know, the rest of the people, they pay them and we pay them too, but we're the ones they really care about. By the way, sex workers know this and and every single person who comes to them is the most special person that they see because they know this. But um, so, I think a lot of addicts fall in love with chasing the unavailable person and this idea of I'm, will I be special enough for them to want to be with despite all that experience and blah, blah, blah. So I don't know that it's falling in love so much. It is finding another way to be intensely distracted from, from their lives. Yes, actually I hear that kind of stuff all the time. And I always say that's a good business person that that person is, you know, making sure that you are extra special and, you know, I, I, she, she or he needs all these gifts and support. So I call it good customer service. 
There you go. Okay. Next question. After my second affair, my ex-wife decided to move forward with divorce. I've been on my own now for several months. She is willing to work things out and try again. However, I'm finding I've been happier on my own with the option to start a real relationship with the person whom I cheated on her with. Yet I still feel stuck. Should I continue working on myself and be alone? And maybe the answer on who to be in a relationship will come. Please help. Well, I love this question. And Tammy, you know, I love this question because it, when, especially when I was in private practice, I had to have a man come into my office and say, you know, doc, I have a problem. I don't know which one. And I always knew what he was talking about. It's his wife and his affair partner or her husband and her affair partner. And, you know, they would come in and they would say, here's the problem. I don't know which one. You know, I mean, I've been with this person 20 years and we have a lot of special stuff, and but it's been really bad for a while. And then there's this person and it's so exciting and we're so connected and it's so, and you know, I, two things, I, I'm not in a job to tell you which one ever, but I, I do say this to men in particular, how are you going to feel if you go from one relationship to the other and you don't feel clean about it? Like you don't feel, if you don't feel, if you're married and you don't feel you're given every chance you have to make that right, how will you ever know if you left something for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? And so if you're seeing someone else, your spouse will always come in second. They don't have that body. Besides which, by the way, with your affair partner, you don't have to worry about the laundry or the dusting the furniture. You know, you're not full partner. You're just there for the fun. So being with an affair partner in real life is not probably going to be that different over time than being with your spouse, unless you guys don't get along. Um, so you're to the answer to your question. Um, I do agree with you. I think that, uh, um, if you're not really sure what is best for you and what you want, don't ruin one or both lives by saying, well, I'm going to commit or try this and then find out you want something else. The other thing is I, you know, I, I often, so I wrote this book called Out of the Doghouse, a relationship-saving guide for men caught cheating. And I wrote Out of the Doghouse because so many men that I work with, they, they're not sure if they want to stay committed to their relationships or not, the ones that they've broken. And then if they decide to stay with them, they have no idea how to really heal the brokenness that they've caused. And I wanted to give them a book to try to think about this. Um, but one of the things it says in Out of the Doghouse is be really sure that you want to be with this person because it's going to take a lot of work to heal a troubled relationship. So if you look at what your marriage might be, if you go back into it, it's going to be no easy ride, you know, and, and by the way, if you go to the affair, it's partner is going to be a really easy ride. So my question to you is, you know, um, do you know, will you be able to leave your marriage and feel good? Like you did everything you could to make it right. And the reason I brought up out of the doghouse is I don't, I think I've told you this, Tammy, when it first came out, I, I was out doing some interviews about it and there were some radio people I was talking to. And these two particular men, different stations, different places had both read the book, which I think is very unusual for a media person, but I think they read it because they had something for themselves to read in it. And what both men told me before I did my interviews, he said, they said, you know, I read out of the doghouse, which is a book about really going in and reexamining and for the cheater and making it right in the right way. Both of these men said to me, you know, I'm 55 or 60 and I'm on my second marriage and I have a new family. And, but I think if I had read this and they get tearful, I might've been able to save my first marriage. And they say it like, 
they didn't know it at the time, but that relationship was deeply important to them and deeply special. And, and they didn't know how to fix it and how to make it better. And they weren't sure. So I think it is best for you to take time with yourself and for yourself doing a lot of work on yourself. Um, and I also think you need to pick one or the other for the, even for like, you can pick neither. I'm just going to work on myself or you can say, I'm going to work on my marriage or I'm going, but you, what you can't do is, you know, on Thursday, you see your fair partner and Friday, you see your, your wife, you'll, it's the same as what you've been doing. You have to make a decision about what relationship you want to work on. And if it isn't your marriage, then the door's already closed. By the way, do me a favor, please don't torture your, your maybe ex-wife by going in and out and don't tell her about your indecision and, you know, just, take it a little bit at a time because this woman is moving back toward you and you've devastated her already. So I would be very careful in how, because you may not get another chance to re-engage her. So if you're going to tell her might be the other person, just know you may, you're probably not going to get any more chances over there. So I don't think I gave a straight answer, but I didn't really want no, to. No, I think that was really good. And, and I was thinking uh, while you were sharing too, how many times I get calls from the betrayed partner who used to be the affair partner. But, but think about it. It's like these people cheated and like they think they're going to get together and it's all going to be great now. But like you said, then there's the laundry and bills to pay and real life garbage to take out and things like that. And so then it isn't all the, you know, the clandestine and all of this fun stuff. And so then the next thing happens is they cheat again. So, so my other mm -hmm. encouragement is, you know, if this has been a pattern for you of, cause it says right. after my second affair. So, so like there was another mm -hmm. one. And so part, part of, yeah, that was how it started after oh. my second affair. So part of me is going, I'm wondering if there's more of a pattern here and now you just are kind of hung up on this particular one, but will be there a third affair. If you hang out with, if you choose the affair partner. So that's my thought. Well, I would even ask, I'm sorry, Tammy, I mean, around. no, that's good. Uh, I would even ask if you were in treatment with us at Seeking Integrity, I would say to you, so who are you lining up as the next person who's going to take the place of your affair partner? Who, would, or even if you haven't lined them up yet, just it's a great treatment question. Who would be the next person on your list once this, you've got this next marriage going that you would start looking at and saying, hmm, because you know your pattern, there will be somebody, pardon me, and as, as Tammy said, have you ever found a way out of that pattern or have you just moved from one meaningful relationship to another? Because I understand serial monogamy for some people works, but you're not asking the kind of questions with someone who's happy with serial monogamy. You're asking the kind of questions as someone who doesn't know how to find the relationship they can stay in or how to stay in the right one. Um, and by the way, the affair will always be a great distraction. Oh my God, you're never in your relationship because the phone might ring. You might get a text. There's always that, you know, thing going on. And boy, is that very different than living with that person and hearing that they fart and have zits and, you know, they're not always dressed up and ready to go out with you. So anyway, I, I don't think you can do both and I'm not sure you can do either yet. So the best is to be on your own. Okay. Next question. I recently began recovery for love addiction and I've realized that the only people I've ever been truly attracted to have been unavailable because of addiction narcissism or marriage. I am not interested in people I can actually be within a relationship. I have always been quickly bored by people who are always available by the constant longing and fantasizing is driving me insane. I feel like I want a normal quote unquote relationship with an abnormal person. Maybe it's because I've only been in recovery a month. That's a 
clue. Um, um, But I do not understand this. Is there hope for me to have a healthy relationship with someone I'm actually compatible with? I also want to have much more sex than my partners on the rare occasions I am in a relationship. So that's a lot. Well, as someone who who spent a lot of time around alcoholics, I think, and I think this is a woman. Yeah. I don't know that for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised, but, but let's just listen to the regardless. voice. So what do yeah. you, what do you think, Tammy, just kicking that one off? Well, first of all, you've been in recovery a month. Yay. But that's a really short time and hang in there. It does change and it gets better. I love that you're looking at this and you know, if you're hanging out in recovery places with like even online, you know, with people, you're going to hear, don't make any decisions now. You've got time to take a look at this and see what your patterns are. But, you know, no relationships for a while are a, a good choice until you have more clarity, have more, you know, have, have more recovery, uh, you know, underneath you to, to grow with, have a posse. Dr. Rob has talked often about having a dating posse and all of that. But in addiction, we're always looking for the adrenaline. And so, of course, all of those people are going to be way more fun. They're going to be the catch. They're going to be the chase. And somebody who is available and wants to be with you is going to be boring. But you also probably, in my active addiction, I wasn't I wasn't um, a high number. Like Dr. Rob says, you know, a two isn't going to attract an eight, you know, well, I was lower on that scale than I am in recovery. And so I suspect that the people that you attract are also in a lower number scale, so to speak. So, so give yourself space, give yourself time, do what you need to do for the recovery stuff. And the rest of it, honestly, I promise if you're doing what you need to do, you know, those pieces will unfold for you as you're asking the right questions, which are, and you have people to support you. Yeah. I mean, Tammy, I'd love to put, make that into a plaque. That was perfect. (laughs) You know, I think all I could say is that, you know, um, like every addict, you're really in a hurry. And I understand that, you know, you finally found the keys to the kingdom and what's been screwing up your life for a while. Um, you're, but you're already on to looking at other things. And I would say, you know, start, start, start with the alcohol. That's where you are. Be where you are. Um, of, you know, other things are going to come up. Money is going to come up. Jobs are going to come up. Nothing comes up as powerfully as relationships. But there are going to be a lot of questions you're going to have about how do I live now as opposed to how I lived before. And, you know, I will say this, um, I do a Friday night group just like this on In the Rooms, and I have a lot of women who are drug addicts and alcoholics in early recovery. Well, this, and they will this say, is a recovery for love addiction. So there's no mention of alcohol. It's just love addiction. So Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah. thought this person so, said that they were newly- no, I'm in second. recovery for love addiction. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't. Okay. Well, I'll drop that part and say this. Yes. Um but you're right. Well, you're, Even in the rooms, there's lots of people with love addiction too. But I, I, what I wanted to address, thank you, was the constant fantasizing and longing. You know, that's human. You're single, and maybe when you were using, um, all that fa- all that longing and emptiness got covered up with using and drinking and sex and you know whatever you did. But that longing that you're talking about, that is a lot of what we run away from. Mm-hmm. When we're drinking and using, it is the part of you that wants to be touched by people's hearts, deeply connected. That longing is what we all really want in connection with other people that, that we deny ourselves in addiction. So 
I'm glad that you're filled with longing and emptiness. That is exactly where you should be. And I hope you can be patient enough to fill that loneliness and emptiness with other people. If you're a woman, other women, if you're a man, other men who you're not sexually attracted to in recovery so that you can really, really focus on what you need to focus on. I do have a small story about this. Some of the women that I work with will say, love addicts will say, you know, I went into my AA room and this really lovely woman was holding out her arms and saying, welcome to AA. And so she was a greeter, you know, that's kind of a job, welcome. But I kind of shoved her aside because there was this really cute guy behind her that I wanted to talk to more. And the answer, and the, of course, it was much more important for her to engage that lovely, wise woman who might have supported her than it would ever be useful for her to check out yet a new guy but that's where we go and especially when we're just starting to look at this stuff so and yes it can get different and it can get better next question my addict csat said here's one of those where it starts off my addict csat said did he say it to you um, said that addiction is never a problem and can't be a symptom of a divorce. The problem is inability to cope with emotion. But even if he weren't, uh, were not an addict, we would still be in our same situation, AKA divorcing due to 10 years of infidelity. What are your thoughts on this? So Tammy, can you phrase that one? Cause I think again, so, not yeah, a symptom it, of yeah, help, please. Addiction is never a problem and can't be a symptom of divorce. The problem well, is inability to cope with emotion. Well, that's what addiction is, is the inability say, to cope with emotion. Yeah, exactly. It's the same thing. If I knew how to manage and cope with my emotions, needs, and feelings, I, I would, in a healthy way, I wouldn't need to drink, use, or have sex with strangers. So mm -hmm. um, I don't, it, so this gets, first of all, did you say the, the client said this about what it's went a, on in therapy? My addict CSAT said, but we don't know if the addict CSAT said it to the partner or if the addict CSAT said it to the addict and the addict said, my Csat said. So so if oh. you didn't hear it from this therapist oh, this person yourself, wrote a, wrote we a, don't know. The therapist said it me directly. Oh. 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 So, uh, oh. so um, I don't understand. Um, that makes no sense to me. Um, Addiction can be and is a leading sort uh, right next to domestic violence. One of the leading reasons and financial issues why people don't stay together, um, whether it's alcoholism or drug addiction or gambling or gaming or, you know, work or whatever it is. So the, and it takes all the juice out of the relationship, all the gas, you know, it leaves a lifeless, empty thing. So uh, now unrevealed addiction is a, a reason why a lot of people don't stay together. That addict piles right through and you never knew that they weren't present addiction unrecovered certainly can lead to a lot of broken relationships and a lot of situations like that. Um, but, um, if he were an addict, if he were not an addict, would we still be in the same situation? So let me say one more thing about that. Um, I think about 80%, maybe 85% of the couples that I work with and those who are involved with seeking integrity stay together. Most of those couples have been together a while. So it tends to be the couple that's been together eight or 10 years or 20 or 30. They have family, relationships, kids, church, you know, everything. And, and this, while a huge issue, is not something they really want to tear their entire lives apart over. And so they work on it and they don't necessarily tear it apart. But I'll tell you what, there are lots of people for whom the addiction was the breaking point of many, many years of other problems. In other words, I don't always see, in fact, I often don't see as painful as, as hard as it is, and Tammy can correct me on this, addiction ending relationships, unless the addiction is not resolved. 
in which case, yeah, it can ruin, ruin them forever. Um, but I don't really see it the other way around. So Tammy, do you, oh, I know what I'm going to say. If you work, sorry, I'm going to say a million things. What we can do in therapy in terms of relationships, we can help you communicate better. We can help you be better listeners. We can help you treat each other differently. We can help you um, get more involved in each other's lives or say things in a better way for the other person to understand. But I'll tell you what, we cannot change who you are. And there are, and, and I had a wonderful therapist say to me once about a relationship. He said, you know, whoever you are with that person, that's who you're going to be. And whoever they are with you, that's who they're going to be. And addiction may have nothing to do with the nature of who the two of you are together and what's happened, but it may be the straw that broke the camel's back in terms of, in other words, I don't see addiction breaking up most relationships, but I do see addiction breaking up a lot of deeply unhappy relationships. Okay. Next question. And probably our final, we'll see. Do you have, That's okay. do you have to have disclosure and a polygraph to get through betrayal? Is it possible to heal without it? So let me just say for the folks who don't know what any of those words mean, except maybe polygraph. Um, one of the things that trained professionals do in this work with sex addicts and partners is we do this thing called disclosure, which is really opening up the partner to know everything everything that they didn't know about in terms of frequency and quantity and money and all that. So we do a disclosure so that the, there can be kind of an equal playing field for the couple so that everything is known, everything's on the table. There aren't any more secrets and they can start to rebuild really from a, uh, at least from, from a space of knowing everything. Um, I have worked with partners who, for example, I worked with some particularly religious partners who said, you know, it is not a part of my religion that, that, I cannot leave my spouse. It's not something that I can do and not something I believe in. So, and I know if you tell me all these things that I will want to leave this person and I am not, so I would really prefer to not know. And I fully respect and support the person who does not want to know. Um, I think it's a, an individual question. Um, I do also think that if that part of restoring trust if you, if you have enough healthy support and you can tolerate it is understanding what's happened in your relationship, because nine times out of 10, what I hear from you spouses, when disclosure is done is I knew that I just knew when they went here and there and that was going on, that's what they were doing. But what we tell you is that's not what we were doing. And so you have to pick between your feelings and what we say. And a lot of times in disclosure, you say things like, Oh, that makes sense to me. Now I know what's been going now. So it puts a lot of pieces together for you guys. But I'll tell you, if you don't feel emotionally stable, if you're not sure if the relationship is going to go forward, if you're, you know, uh, eight and a half months pregnant, there are a lot of reasons why a partner or someone might say, I'm not sure I want to go through this. And I absolutely respect that. And by the way, the addict's going to go, whoo. <laughs> so um, we get asked this all the time about disclosure and polygraphs and, you know, and there is no protocol specifically for polygraphs. Most Poly, polygraphers don't, yeah, I mean, they, they need to be trained to work with this. So if you are working with a therapist that really knows how to do this, you know, fine, but it's a couple of questions. So, um, but, but I do think I, I've had so many partners that have gone, I know it's bad. I know there's a lot, you know, and they, they, they know the stuff where the, you know, where it, it was gaslighting and they go, it was just enough. And, you know, like we, we can find a path beyond this. And some partners never get that, you know, there's a divorce, there's a death or whatever, they never get the chance and you can still heal. So, so I think that it really is an individual situation as to what, you know, what you need. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.